Church, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here with us, and I hope you'll take the opportunity to use one of those uh, uh, bookmarks that you received on the way in and give us some information so that we can connect with you. We're going to celebrate. We're going to begin this morning. We're going to just sing some songs and praise to our God, so let's, let's stand, stand and sing and celebrate.
chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Can you hear me? Oh, now we can hear me. All right. Sorry about that. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, though through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are of accord of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those that are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies.
Amen. Well, at this time, you can be seated, and our children, fourth grade and below, can work their way down around the corner, and our children's ministry team is there ready to serve them. Good morning. Good morning. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10. John 10, 10. And if you want to use one of the Black Pew Bibles, you can find that, of course, in the New Testament on page 81. John 10, 10. We're continuing this month in a series, just now taking a break uh, from our regular preaching series through the book of Philippians uh, for a series that we have called Your Gospel is Too Small. And so as we are always trying to do in our church, we are wanting this month to, again, in another way through this series, make the gospel paramount. And that means that we need to gain a better grasp on the gospel. Now, I heard recently that it takes a pastor 400 to 500 sermons in order to, quote, find his voice. This, in the life of our church, in terms of sermons that I preach, is 477. And so I've decided that this is going to be my preaching voice from now on. I found it. I'm sorry. I thought that was so funny. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, there is a sense in which every single person here who is a believer has a kind of preaching voice. You have a gospel voice. You have a voice that God has given you. And it's to be used for the proclamation of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the joy of all sinners. And so there's nothing really more important for us as Christians than to continually increase our grasp or strengthen our voice, which we use to proclaim the gospel to others and to ourselves. And so you might think this morning as we consider just this one verse, John 10, 10, where are you in your gospel voice? Where are you in your ability to explain in a compelling way what is the gospel? You know, if someone were to ask you that question, what is the gospel? Could you give a compelling answer? When someone asks you, what is the gospel like? Can you paint the picture? And so this morning, as we consider John 10, 10, we want to we grow this morning in our ability to paint that picture so that we can find our gospel to be bigger than we did yesterday, uh, that we would find the gospel to be closer to its actual size, to its actual power, because there's one thing that's true. No matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you have come from, I guarantee you, your gospel is too small. And so is mine. That's one of the amazing things about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again for us. That's the gospel message. It's an announcement, not about what we have to do, not about our sin. That's the message of the law. But the good news of the gospel is a message about what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is the gospel. And so we want to increase our grasp 
and we want to get closer to getting it, though we never will. Even in heaven, no one will exhaust or, quote, get the gospel. Nevertheless, it is our joy this morning to consider how we can be more faithful voices to ourselves and to others when it comes to understanding and explaining and knowing what is this incredible, big, bright, good news that we have been given. So just one verse this morning. I'm going to read that verse for us, and then we're going to notice three truths that will help us to expand our vision or our grasp and understanding of the good news. This is what Jesus says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Now, here's the first truth that I want us to grasp this morning. It's important for us to understand that in order to really get the gospel, we have to understand the bad news of the law. There is no way for any person to to understand just how good Christ has been to us until we understand just how bad sin is in our lives without him. And so we notice this first truth in what Jesus says, that sin is a thief. Jesus does something here. He's, he's, he's sort of personifying sin and wrapping it all into one. And typically we do think of this thief in John 10.10 10 as the devil. Uh, but of course, there's more to it than that. There, there is more going against us than merely our enemy, the devil, Satan, we battle with Satan for sure, but also against the, the world system that is under the curse of sin, the fallen world. Also, our flesh, which continues to, to, to give us difficulty and, and be a source of temptation. But we don't need the devil in order to be tempted. We can be tempted all on our own because we have remaining sin. And Jesus here is painting a clear picture in this personification that the thief, sin, the world, the flesh, the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. It's interesting that the word that is used here for steal is kleptes. It sounds a little bit like the word that we're probably more familiar with, the word that we get from klepto, which means stealer. You've heard the, the term a kleptomaniac. A kleptomaniac is someone who is, who is compelled to steal. I saw a video the other day on social media of these two old guys. I assume they're golfers because they were in a golf shop, and they were going around caught on camera, but they were taking drivers out of the, the, the place where they're held in the store and running them down their pant legs and then covering them up and then waddling out of the store. And I thought, well, what, what brings you to that point that, that this, is, this is what you feel compelled to do? But this is what sin is compelled to do. Sin is a kleptomaniac. Sin is all about, he says, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Notice also the deception with which sin works, this thief, because all three of these are high in deception, high in thievery. And just as we underestimate just how great is the gospel, we also tend to underestimate just how strong and deceptive is sin. That's why you and I find so many times in our lives that, that we, we find ourselves caught in sin or caught in a sin struggle or temptation or, or experiencing the loss 
uh, of something due to sin, the sin of ourselves or the sin of another, and we seem, it feels like we didn't see it coming. It's because sin is deceptive. And so Jesus is giving a clear warning that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And these are deceptive, thievish acts that are not to be underestimated. This means that it can happen. The picture of a thief coming in the middle of the night when you're asleep, when you're you're not expecting him, that this can happen with little notice if, if we're not properly prepared for it. So this first truth is important if we're going to understand what we're seeing this morning in John 10.10, which is the life and the abundance of life that Jesus gives to us in the gospel, that the gospel is abundant. But it begins by recognizing the seriousness of sin. And perhaps Christians should not, though we do, need a consistent reminder of how serious sin is. And we see that when we look at Christ. When we look at what God the Father did to remedy sin, giving his own son to live a perfect life in our place and then to die a crucified death in our place so that he might rise from the dead, it shows us the seriousness of sin. And then every word that Jesus speaks about sin is painted with with incredible color and seriousness. This is caught by the very strongest theologians that we look up to down through church history. Those who who seem to be most helpful to us are those who grasp not only the height of the gospel, but the depth of sin. One of those is a Puritan named John Owen. And I wanted you to hear these words that John Owen wrote about what he called the mortification of sin. Simply, that's to mean putting sin to death. In the way that he, that he considered uh, putting sin to death a daily work, something that required ultimate focus and attention, listen to these words as he speaks about the daily life of Christians and see how it can help us to be more in tune with the good news that Jesus has given to us and that we would have a compulsion to understand it and know more of the gospel. This is what he says. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. And here's the classic line from this quote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Incredible warning, right? It's a warning that sin is not something that simply can be done away with in a moment, but it continues on because it's remaining in us until the very end, and here's that warning. He goes on, he says, your being dead with Christ virtually, your being quickened with him will not excuse you from this work. The vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? He says, the choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. We're considering this morning that the gospel offers to us more than a good life. I think that you can live a good life, that I can live a good life, without mortifying our sin. 
without putting it to death. You can live a good, there are many people in the world who are, quote, living a good life. They're living an enjoyable life. They're living a successful life. They are admired. They have a reputation among their friends and coworkers and family. They are upheld and esteemed. You can do it. But that's not what the gospel has offered us, is it? Just a good life. If you're the kind of person that is interested in just living a good life, I can tell you this, you are settling. You're way beneath the potential of what God offers to us in the good news of Jesus Christ. You're way beneath his intention. And that, my friends, is why my gospel is too small. But we have truth here that can help us, and it begins by recognizing that sin is a thief. And in this very moment, sin is working to steal from you and to steal from me. It might be those little fleeting thoughts that are coming into your mind now. It might be the little objections to what God says in his word. This may sound sensational to say that there is a devil or named Satan and he's tempting you or that your, your flesh has, is, is, has remaining sin and it's a source of temptation to you or, or that, that the, the life you've been trying to live, this, this, this kind of basic good life is really not really a good life at all. You might have all of these thoughts coming in and they're trying to deceive you because sin is a thief. So we're reminded first to apply this text to our lives from what Jesus says about this thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy that we would, in the words of John Owen, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And remember, if it is that sin is killing you, you probably don't know it because sin is a thief. Sin is deceptive. And sin is being underestimated. But we have good news. We have the gospel. We understand that not only is sin ever working every day behind the scenes, in the shadows, in the fleeting, intrusive thoughts, in the distractions of whatever it may be, that all the while, Jesus Christ, who is a living Savior, is all the while working behind the scenes by his Holy Spirit, in the gospel, to give us strength and to overturn this thieving work of sin. And that's good news that we have this morning, but it is not enough, it's not enough for us simply to know that sin is a thief. And, listen to this, it's not enough to simply come up with a system of rules that might keep you and me from sinning. It's not enough to just put into place the guardrails and the principles and the systems of life and the accountability so that we could stop sinning. Because as we're going to see now, Jesus' purpose in coming was not simply to stop us from sinning. It wasn't simply to stop something or to cancel out our, our unrighteousness and our debt. It's not only that he came, lived, died, rose again so that he could get us back to even or back to zero again, but that his intention is to take us an infinite direction, a distance further in the other direction, that he came to give to us, and that's what we see next. Jesus came to give life. 
Therefore, in order for us to, to, to have victory over thief, this thief, which is sin, or, or our flesh, or the devil, it's not enough for us simply to put together this system. It's not enough for us simply to, to try to cancel out those influences. But rather, what do we need to do? This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus is inviting us to come close to him and to walk with him as our good shepherd. In this text, that's what Jesus does. He actually contrasts this thief who is always stealing and killing and destroying with himself, who he calls the good shepherd. And therefore, we're called in this text to draw near to our good shepherd, not only so that we might be anti-sin, but so that we will become pro-gospel more and more and more. And so we see next this truth, that Jesus came to give life. While sin is a thief and a killer and a destroyer, Jesus came to give life. We see here this ultimate what we might call an antithesis. These two things are antithetical to each other, Jesus and sin. Sin, by its very nature, is anti-Christ. Everything that Jesus Christ stands for and does and says and has, sin is anti. And in a similar way, Jesus is anti-sin. All of the effects, all of the powers, all of the, the penalties that come along with sin, Jesus is against. And he is against it by, as we see here, giving us life. We have lots of things that we are against, right? We're all anti-something. And if we look down through history, we see great figures in history who, who were anti-various things. One that comes to mind is Elizabeth Cady Stanton, who in the 1800s was, was anti-slavery. She was also anti the exclusion of women because she was one of the leaders of the, of the women's suffrage movement, which eventually led to, to women having uh, the, many of the rights that they have today. She was also anti-drunken husband, believe it or not. She believed that a wife should be able to divorce her drunken husband. But in all of the things that she was against, and at that time, all of the things that there were to be against, what is really at the heart of her life and so many others, and what is at the heart of the gospel, is not merely an intention to be against these things, but to bring into the world something infinitely better. And that's why Jesus says here, I have come so that they may have life. Notice that he doesn't say, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that he won't steal, kill, and destroy. He has an entirely higher agenda. He has something more important, and this is what many people miss out on in the Christian life, because we settle for this good life. When Jesus has offered us something more, more than just a good life, it's different than the reason that the world thinks Jesus came. And maybe this is even true for some Christians. I know that I have found myself believing some of these things at times of how I frame out my Christian life or how you frame out your Christian life and the reason that Jesus came. It's kind of obvious to see it if we think about the way that people, maybe even some Christians, maybe even some of us and myself, talk about Jesus and the gospel. 
We tend to say things like, Jesus came to fix my problems. Now, we might not say it in those words, but that's, that's what I really believe. That's what I think. Or that Jesus came, as the disciples thought early on, that he came to bring social and political change. That that's really what the gospel is about. The gospel is really a social gospel. It's here to, to make the politics different, to make the social world better. And while it certainly can, is that the reason? Is that settling to see it that way? I think that it is. Or that Jesus came to bring a moral example of how we're to get with God's program. I believe that. Because I often put a lot of my hope in maybe some of the things that I could do to show that I'm with God's program. I'm keeping up with the rules. I'm keeping up with the laws. I'm doing this well. I'm fighting against this. Sometimes that's a settling point for us, even as Christians. Or that Jesus came to bring material prosperity. This is known as the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says that that the real evidence of whether you belong to Jesus is that he gives you things. He gives you money, or he gives you accolades, or he gives you fame. These are the ways that you can know that you're really in God's favor. But of course, that's not true. Jesus himself didn't have any of those things. Or we think that Jesus came to give a kind of legalistic observance of the rules. That's really what it means to be a Christian. It means you don't cuss. It means that you don't drink. It means that you don't do this. It means that you don't do that. And you keep up with all the rules, and that's what makes you Christian. Lots of us believe that. Sometimes I believe that. I put my hope in that kind of thing. Or even the maybe most common, Jesus came to provide merely an escape from hell. You see, all of those things are in one sense true, but they so dumb down the gospel that we miss out on what is really the center or heart of the good news of Jesus. We miss out on the gospel being big as it is, and we end up with a gospel that is too small. And then we wonder why we're struggling so much in the Christian life. It's because my gospel is too small. Think about it this way. So the other day, uh, my wife made lasagna, but it had to be made the day before. Something, I don't know what, something miraculous happened in the refrigerator overnight. The lasagna is always fantastic, but the next day when I took it out and put it in the oven and cooked it, after it had been in the refrigerator all night, it was, it was a miracle. It was so flavorful beyond anything that I had known before. And it was great before. It was great before. I'm not saying, <laughs> but it was, there was something better. The garlic and the seasoning and the cheese was so gooey and runny. It was like a mix between a lasagna and a Chicago-style pizza. That's what it was like. And I just couldn't get over it. Now, Anytime this thing happens to me, this kind of experience, I start telling people about it. Now, imagine this. Imagine if after eating that lasagna, I went to tell people, which I did. First, I told Catherine, and then I told lots of other people, anybody that I could get on the phone or text, you you can't believe how great this lasagna was. But imagine if instead of that, I had just fixated my attention and my description on one little part of that lasagna. 
If I had said to people who haven't tasted it, there is this tiny little bit of red pepper flake in there, and it makes the tiniest difference, and man, you would not believe how good that lasagna was. That would be true. But I'm not really giving you a clear picture of what this lasagna is all about. And that's a similar thing that happens when we talk about the gospel. This is one of the reasons why I think we, and I include myself all the time in this, we need to get better at understanding and explaining and unpacking what is the gospel. Or else we find ourselves in conversation talking about the red pepper flakes, talking about that little bit of ingredient that was added that does make a difference, but that's not really what we're talking about. Yes, Jesus makes a difference in the world. Yes, Jesus has, has brought me escape from hell. Yes, that is true. But that's not really the full picture of what he has done in the good news. And this is one of the reasons why we struggle with sharing the gospel, is that in that way, you're, hopefully you're picking up on the picture, in that way, our gospel is too small. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't know how to think about it. We need to become more familiar with the big, bright flavors of the gospel and learn to rejoice in them. That's actually what we've been doing through that whole series of the book of Philippians, trying to become connoisseurs of happiness that comes from Christ so that we could, we could put on display the gospel in bigger and brighter ways. So go back to that first question that I asked you earlier. If someone said to you, what is the gospel, what would you say? How would you describe it? Would you describe it in red pepper flake terms? Would you describe it in this, this little sort of compelling, sort of intriguing way? Or would you be able to get at this incredible, big, bright, life-changing, soul-satisfying good news that has come to us through the work of Jesus Christ? Think about it. I think everybody in here should. If you don't, you should. You should feel you need to grow. I need to grow. I need to become, you need to become, we need to become more like the Bible because the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus like that. The Bible doesn't dumb down how great the gospel is. The Bible is not afraid to tell you just how utterly happy Jesus can make you. The Bible is not afraid of getting that wrong. And that's why we hear the Apostle Paul saying things like this. This is an extended passage, so hold on, keep it in your mind. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, listen to this. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, Paul says, with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he, that he lavished on us in the beloved one in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses 
according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and all understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything, to bring everything together in Christ, both in heaven and things on earth. When you ask the Apostle Paul, what is the gospel? That's the kind of thing he says. So why is that not the kind of thing that I say? Why do I dumb it down? Why do I, I, I flub for the words? I don't know what to say. I, 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 I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I'm, I'm afraid of giving the wrong impression. It's because my gospel's too small. It's because I need more intentional time with the gospel. I need help. I need help. So here's what I want to encourage all of us to do, myself included. If you feel this way like I do, here's what you can begin doing. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself about the gospel. Not only for your own life. You should do that for your own life. You need to do that, right? You need to talk to yourself. You need to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself because it will help you, help you in your Christian life. But, but even more than that, what will it do? It will help us to better understand the gospel. So talk to yourself about the gospel, but you've got to start doing it in the biggest, brightest terms you can. You have to start coaching yourself on the gospel. And when you think you can't say anything bigger or anything brighter than the gospel, try again. Because there's always something bigger to be said. There's always something brighter to be said. Jesus did not come merely to do this or that. We heard some of those earlier. He did not come merely to give us escape from hell, merely to change things in the world. There are a thousand merely's. He did not merely come to do that. And in fact, that's what we've been doing in this series through, the, through Philippians, which we'll get back to in August. Jesus did not come merely to make you holy. He came to make you happy. He came to satisfy every part of you. But we need to coach ourselves on this. We need to talk to ourselves about this. And we need to do this because this is the work of the Christian life. We as Christians, for some weird, twisted reason, want so bad to work, work, work. Give me something to do. Give me some way to make myself feel righteous. Give me something to act on. That This is the work. Talk to yourself about the gospel. See how big and how bright you can get your own understanding and grasp of the gospel as you give it to other people. This is the work of the Christian life. And here's the last truth that we can see this morning, which ought to just put this whole thing over the top for us as we are reminded that the gospel offers more than just some kind of good American life. Notice what he says at the end of verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life, period. And he moves on to something else. He doesn't. 
he adds another clause and have it in abundance. Jesus' gospel is not too small, obviously. But hear it. Is that what you think of the gospel as? Is that what you're, you're pursuing? Is that sort of what you're trying to experience? None of us are, are fully experiencing it, but we're trying to. Abundant life. The kind of abundant life that truly satisfies your soul, that gives you deep and lasting joy and happiness in Christ, for Christ, because of Christ, to Christ, to his glory. Because that's why Jesus came. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. He uses this Greek word, perisos, and what it means is exceeding. It means abounding. It means beyond measure. It's the kind of word that you would use when you were exceeding the speed limit. You're going beyond it. You're abounding. The picture of, of bounding forward like, like a majestic horse galloping fast and free in an open field. That's the picture of this word abounding. That's the kind of life that he has come to bring. A kind of life that is beyond measure, like the vast universe that we can't even measure. It's beyond all of that. Those are the kinds of pictures of the life that Jesus has come to bring. Life and have it abundantly. But here's the problem. No matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you came from, no matter what you're thinking right now, no matter how spiritually mature you are, you and I are in this moment underestimating Jesus we're not properly estimating him, but this is what we're in pursuit of, a more proper estimation of the life he has come to give us. Let me ask you this. Are you able to form these kinds of pictures in order to understand, make sense of, share the gospel? Are you good at it? This is only my personal opinion, but I don't think that you should ever talk about the gospel without using some kind of picture to frame out what it looks like. One, because that's the way that people think. That's the way that you're wired to think. You, you, you live on analogies. Everything that you know about God is given to you by an analogy. And second, that's the way the Bible always unpacks it for us. So how good are you at forming these pictures for yourself or forming these pictures for other people. Again, the Bible does this all over the place. That's what the parables are. Think about the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew 13. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a treasure hidden in a field. And when a person discovers that the treasure is there, he joyfully sells all of his possessions, all of his possessions to acquire that field. This is the kind of picture that the gospel is, is painted in. But this is the kind of picture that I'm not great at painting. 
And that's what I need to grow in. Or you, you think of, of other analogies or allegories. Think about a really famous book series, movie series, The Chronicles of Narnia. That's what it's all about. It's about painting this picture. This is a way that we can see our gospel go from being too small to being more closer proportion to its true brightness and bigness is our ability to form these pictures. One of the Christians in history that I have been really most helped by actually was a, a, a pastor named Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. He was known as the prince of preachers. He absolutely found his preaching voice. And his preaching voice was, was characterized by pictures. This is how he brought the gospel to bear upon the people who heard him. And he was a master at using these pictures. I want to read one for you. And again, it's a little bit of an extended bit here, but uh, some of it is on the screen. I want you to hear this as a great example. He says this, suppose I were to tell you of a certain potent medicine that could heal all diseases, expel every pain and restore perfect health. Would you not be interested? But what if I were to tell you that this medicine was freely available to everyone without cost? Would you not be amazed? Now imagine a crowded hospital filled with people suffering from various ailments. They lie there, writhing in pain, desperate for a cure. In comes a physician carrying a small bottle of that miraculous medicine. As he enters, he begins to dispense it to every patient in turn. And as he does so, an extraordinary transformation occurs. The sickly and weak start to regain their strength. Their countenances brighten and smiles replace their previous expressions of agony. The joy and relief on their faces are indescribable. The hospital is no longer a place of despair, but a sanctuary of hope and healing. This, my friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the divine medicine that can heal the brokenness of the human soul, set captives free, and bring eternal life. And just as the physician freely dispenses the medicine to all who are willing, so does Christ offer the gospel to all who will receive it. Wouldn't it be nice if you and I could paint the gospel like that? That's what we need. That's what we need to grow in. We need to be able to paint these pictures. I promise you, I'm promising you, your gospel will get bigger the more that you and I get in tune with the pictures that illustrate how big and bright it actually is. But if we don't, if we don't, we're just going to settle. You're just going to settle out for mediocre gospel uh, sent around the world to your own heart. You're just going to settle back in. I guess the best I can do is just to just live a good American life. And we will miss it. But that's not what Jesus has for us, and that's not what I believe will happen to us. I think that as we continue to walk together and feed on the gospel and learn to, to take on these, develop these skills of, of painting some pictures for ourselves so that we can understand and communicate this, our gospel is going to get bigger. So as we come to a close, the last encouragement that I have for you is that you would do this, that you would start a picture journal. That may sound weird, but a picture journal. Now, I'm not asking you to draw anything unless you're good at drawing and you like to do that. But whether it's with... Uh, pictures or with words, why don't you start practicing? 
Why don't you start every day to sit for a moment in your quiet time after you read the Bible and think to yourself, what is the gospel like? And find the biggest, brightest picture that you haven't painted yet and write it down or draw it out in these kinds of terms like Spurgeon did with this medicine in the hospital and paint that out in every day, maybe every week, write down another picture, another story, another example, an illustration of what the gospel is like. And I promise you, if you were to do that, your gospel will get bigger. And you will get more excited and more confident in sharing the gospel with everyone that you can which is what God is calling us to do, to find our joy in sharing with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our families, with our teammates, whoever it may be. Because the gospel is big and it is bright and it is paramount and we want to see it that way in our lives and the lives of everyone we possibly can. Of course, that begins, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you should come to Christ I hope that you hear in just these few words from John 10, 10, that Jesus, in fact, did come to give life and to give it abundantly. His kind of life is one that you cannot imagine. And he welcomes you, and perhaps this morning by his Holy Spirit, he is drawing you to himself. And if that's the case, you should run to him. You should tell him that you love him. You should ask him to forgive you. Tell him that you believe in him and begin walking with him and let other Christians know so that we can support you and encourage you or wherever you live that you would get involved in a healthy local church that is going to make the gospel paramount in your life and the lives of others. If you do make a decision like that today, you should tell someone else here or one of the pastors will be at the back after the service because we'd love to talk with you more. And if you're already a Christian, We want to remember that the gospel offers us more than this good life and to pursue it with real joy and real cheerfulness because it is what we need more than anything else. Let's pray this morning. Our Father, we give you thanks because you are the king of all grace and all comfort, that you you are the king who, who paints pictures every day for us. You paint them in your word. You paint them in your world. You have even painted them on your own son, We pray that you would make our gospel bigger and brighter than it was yesterday, even than it was just 30 minutes ago. We pray that you would use the truth of your word to uh, convince us of the abundant life Jesus offers and that we would pursue it and that we wouldn't let anything stand in our way and we wouldn't let anything cause us to settle out for something less than, less than the ultimate truth and the ultimate joy of knowing you. And so we, we pray that you, you would help us now as we sing and you would carry us forward and make us better at, at painting pictures and grasping this good news for our own souls and for the joy of others and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand. Let's sing together. We can begin applying what we've heard already as we rejoice to the max together. fails me
the goodness of God. Amen. Well, as we continue together in our time of worship, we're going to, again, work on the application that we already have here. Uh, thinking about images, pictures of the gospel that we can that we can think about to help ourselves think more deeply about what the gospel is. I'm, I'm going to read a, a couple of verses just from verse uh, from Psalm 71 as we uh, as we move to this this part of our, our service at the end, our last song here. We we hear this in you in you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and save me. Extend your ear to me and help me. Be to me a rock of dwelling to which I may continually come. You have given the commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Save me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the wrongdoer and the ruthless, for you are my hope. Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. I've leaned on you since my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. So as we close our time together this morning, this picture is, is one of God as this rock, this fortress, this place that we can, that we can rest, that we can find our confidence. It's a, it's, all of us are, are tossed about in a storm, and we have no hope. We're going to be destroyed by this thing. The enemies are going to attack us, but there's, there's a place where we can go, and that, that is Christ for us. So let's sing together, and let's celebrate as we take this opportunity for us to give as well and close our time together. Son. 
we have we have some announcements at the end here. <laughs> From somebody? So no, it's it's me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so Pastor Kevin came up at the beginning of the service and whispered to me, announcements at the end. And it just occurred to me that what he was saying is not we're doing announcements at the end, but you're doing announcements at the end. So have a quick, have a quick seat as we wrap up our time together. We're keeping it real here at Paramount this morning. There's not, uh, yeah, well, hey, I can do awkward. I'm a king of that. So first of all, just thank you, everybody, who was a part of the, the missions night on Friday. That was an amazing time. Um, fantastic work. I love to be able to see that. It's so good for us to put in front of our faces. This is the work that God is doing all around the world. And in some, some way, some part, whether it's prayer, through our giving, all of these ways that we do, we are a part of that work. And so it's, it's such a good thing for us to be reminded of. Uh, we want to be reminded that August, this time uh, coming up, is the time for ministry teams are, are going to continue to grow. So if you're looking at joining one of our ministry teams, now's the time to grab and to consider talking to a director. So uh, our, our greeter team is looking for our children's. We need more, more workers there. Uh, yard team and some of the outside. If there are things that you're thinking about being a part of, this is a really great time to consider that. Uh, reach out to one of those folks and, and uh, consider uh, joining those teams and being a part of that work. And then finally, on July 29th at 9 a.m., we're going to have a new members class. So if you're here, you're considering being a part of the church, or maybe you just want to learn You want to learn a little more. You're not quite sure. Um, you're thinking about it. You, you want to learn. This is a really good opportunity to do that. So we would ask, if, if possible, um, we, we, we'd like you to RSVP. Let us know you're going to be there. Uh, if we have too many people who can't make it, we'll consider rescheduling that. But the time right now is July 29th at 9 a.m. So if you're interested in doing that, uh, please grab one of the pastors or grab one of the folks on the way out or just shoot a message to, to one of the, the uh, emails on there, and we'll be sure that we can, we can get you to be a part of that. All right, with that, let me just quickly close in prayer. Our God, we thank you this morning. I thank you so much for putting your gospel in front of our eyes, helping us to see that this is such an amazing thing that you've done for us, and we are only beginning to scratch the surface. We really don't get it yet. Help us to understand it and see it more and more. Help us to be so excited by the work that you've done that we can't help but, but share it with those who are around us. And so as we leave this place, we pray that, that your spirit would fill our hearts, our minds, our mouths with, with the good news that you've given. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.